uh, we want to finish off this teaching on law versus gospel. The Bible is clear to make a distinction between the old and the new. There's one overarching covenant, which is the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is there before Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai comes and Mount Sinai is removed. Abraham keeps moving because Abraham is the one who is bringing the seed. Abraham is the one who is bringing Jesus because it's through Jesus that the promise that God gave to Abraham is fulfilled and is given. And we make that distinction. We are able to make that navigation, but to make a distinction, as the New Testament says, that the old came, but it was not to stay. It only was there for a moment. God gave it for only a particular function to lead us to Christ. Once Christ has come, the old is thrown out. Because that's not how God gives his promises. God does not give promises by your own obedience to the old covenant. Because the old covenant is asking you to get the promises of God by your own obedience. The Abrahamic covenant does not ask you to get promises by your obedience. It's an unconditional covenant. It's a covenant of grace, just as the new covenant is. We see the elements of the new covenant in the Abrahamic covenant in that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's the bedrock of how salvation is had. And Apostle Paul spends the whole chapter in Romans 4 to connect that for us. So that's how that is connected We'll speak more about how these things are connected together that you may be able to have more light and able to discern when you're talking to different kinds of people. But I just thought I would throw that one out. But we're going to hear more of that from this sermon today. But let, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again, Lord, to worship you and uh, Lord, to thank you for your gospel, the gospel of God's grace in the salvation of his people, in the obedience of Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the full covering that we have in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have. And Lord, even though we struggle with our sins, even though we are conscious of the deep pollution, even though we still hear even our own voices, and Lord, we know that we are covered. We are covered by the righteousness of Christ. And that's what matters. Our Lord, I pray and thank you as we close this teaching on law versus gospel, the old and the new, that you give us understanding again for the sake of the gospel because this distinction is necessary for us to comprehend and apprehend the person and work of Christ. We pray and thank you in his precious name. Amen. So we are John 5. John 5, 45 to 47. Again, this will probably be one of the verses that you remember. And I have to tell you that last Sunday at Emeritus, was it last Sunday or the Sunday before, there's a woman who professes to be a preacher of some church. She has a Jewish friend who is at the 
nursing home. The Jewish friend does not believe in Christ. But he says he knows Moses, but doesn't know who Jesus is. So she came to Sister Dassel looking for a pastor. And Sister Dassel said, here's our pastor. She came to me. She said, what verse shall I give to him because I've been trying all things he still won't believe? And I said, John 5, 45 to 47. And I read it to her. And this is what he says. Do not think that I'll accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? I said that to the woman. And she's like, thank you very much. That's what I need. And I said, the man is going to be condemned by the Moses that he says he knows. Because Moses wrote about Jesus. But our supporting text today is going to be Galatians 4, 21 to 31. Galatians 4, 21 to 31. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the born woman and one by the free woman. But the son by the born woman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So it is now also. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the born woman and the son, for the son of the born woman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a born woman, but of the free woman. If you believed Moses, part 7, Cast out the bond woman and a son. Who is your mother? These are titles. Who is your mother? Or it matters who your mother is. It matters who your mother is. This is our final installment. For now, because I can actually go for another 10 sermons on this. Because there's the text for it. There's a lot of text to support this. But I think this is enough. If anybody would 
argue for the continuance of the old covenant as binding on the conscience of believers. They just don't have light of the gospel in them. But we have been titling this series, If You Believed Moses Series. So if anybody would ever want to argue with you about the law, just take them to this series. We have been arguing, and we have been developing the argument that comes from these words of the Lord as we read them from John 5. As he was speaking to the Jews who did not believe in him, and the Jews were failing to interpret the person of Jesus. They were failing to interpret the person and the work of the Son of God as taught them by Moses. That's a problem because they have a template that is foreshadowing the person and the work of Jesus. But when he shows up, they fail to make the connection. And they failed so miserably that they thought Jesus was a sinner. A habitual Sabbath breaker for healing people on Sabbath day. And in this context, healing a man who was sick on the Sabbath. However, the Lord turns the table on them like he did with Nicodemus. And he begins to lecture them about his person and his work of salvation and judgment. And his major argument is, you guys don't get it. I am God. I am God. I am the God of Moses. And we are going to see this theme developing all the way in chapter 6, chapter 8. It's going to be there with Moses and then with Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus is saying, I am the God of Moses. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what Jesus is claiming. And because he is God, he has the prerogative of God to give life because he possesses life in himself. And to judge, to condemnation for the purpose that he, the son, may be honored as the father is honored. So the Jews should have understood from the scriptures that this is he who Moses was talking about, but they could not. And they were unwilling to come to him that they may have life, as Jesus said. And we have also been arguing that salvation is not God's fire department emergency plan to rescue some bad kids who have burned the house with firecrackers whilst mom and pops were away. Rather, all things in God's creation have come to this point of history specifically for the exaltation of the Son of God. And salvation is at the heart of the work of God to honor his son. 
and saw the law and its institutions were in service for the preparation of the arrival of the Son of God. And so he comes and he tells the Jews that their eternity and salvation rested on what they thought of him. And if it was true for the Jews, then it is also true for all men today. The eternal state of all men born of a woman depends on what they say or do not say about the person of Jesus Christ. The Jews thought that they had the law of Moses for eternal life. They thought they could achieve a standing before God by their own obedience to the law, and thus they had rested their hopes of salvation on Moses. But the Lord shows up and says, you are reading Moses wrongly. You do not understand what the law is asking of you. Moses wrote about me in all his writings, but you will not come to me that you may have life. There is no life in Moses. There is no life in the old covenant. There is no life to be had in the Ten Commandments. There is no life to be had in your attempts of self-salvation. The Moses that you so trust is going to condemn you because he spoke of me as the prophet whom you should listen to. He spoke and testified of me in the law. So the law is the testimony of Christ. The priesthood, the sacrifices, and all the types and shadows. The exodus was about me. I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The blood of the Lamb that was on your doors was about my blood. And it is only my blood that makes you visible to God and makes you immune to the death angel. So the old covenant and all its commandments were about Jesus. And Jesus says, now that I have come on stage, all things have to decrease before me because I am God. All these things have been given to my honor. So I have to stand on the stage. The stage has to be raised so that all may see me. I am the son of God and I am God. And all things were created through me and for me. Remember the introduction that John has given. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And it is this word that is now coming talking to the Jews. Jesus says, all things consist in me and have their fulfillment in me. Yes, the law is holy, is righteous and good, but it was not given to make you righteous, for you were already unrighteous because of the fall in Adam. The law was given not to make you better because you are the fallen. You are Jacob. The law was given to show you that you were wretched sinners, unable to stand on your own hind legs as to 
accomplish it. The law was given to give the knowledge of sin. People need to know the knowledge of sin. To teach you and I that we were sinners and to increase our transgressions. Because if our transgressions are increasing, Crystal, that tells you that you are a hopeless sinner. And praise the Lord that if you ever come to that point, it's by grace. Because there are many who are dying without ever getting to a point where they realize that they are hopeless sinners. But having done that in God's people, the ones chosen in Christ, it too had the law. It too had to get off the stage by fulfillment by me. He did not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them and remove them. The law, according to Jesus, was for leading people to him. Their surety, their representative and substitute. And because of that, it had a temporary function in the history of salvation because salvation, after all, is about the revelation of God in his son. That is salvation. That is the gospel. Because no man has seen God. And no man can see God. But in Christ, we have seen God. And once the Son of God has been revealed, you go to him and you hear what he has to say. For he, this one, speaks the words of God because he is the Logos. He is the word of God. He is not a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. He actually is the very word of God and was in the beginning with God. He speaks and gives life because he has life in himself. This one, this Jesus, he has come not to just fulfill the law, but to bring about a new creation through a new birth. We are out of wine. They need wine. Jesus turns water into wine. The water, an inferior medium of washing. That is Moses' water of purification that is turned into wine, wine which is a preservative. So the work that Jesus does is for preservation of God's people by the new creation. Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again, Sarah Anothen, sister herself. You must be born from above, not Sarah Palin. Jesus says, I am the new wine, and you do not put new wine in old white skins of the old covenant. Otherwise, it will burst and destroy everything. It sounds like that's discontinuity. You can't mix grace and law, and if you do, you will not have salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, because that is what honors the glory of the Father and the Son. So once Christ comes on the stage, the law has to decrease 
So the representatives of the law have to decrease in the face of the Son. John the Baptist has to decrease. Decapitated. That's how you decrease in the face of Christ. And those who are in Christ have died to the law. If you have to die to the law, the representative of the law has to die in the face of Christ. M Moses, represented by John the Baptist, who is the greatest of the prophets, has to die. That's the death of the law because Christ has showed up. And those of us who are in Christ also died to the law, not through the death of John the Baptist, but through the death of Christ Jesus. And because we died to the law through the death of Christ, we have been freed from the authority of the law. The law has no more jurisdiction on those who have union with Christ and died with Christ. And we died to the law that we may be freed to marry another. Remember that from Romans 7. To be married to another without committing adultery. We were bound to the law. We were bound to this marriage. This marriage that Apostle Paul likened to slavery. Anyone who is under the law is likened to one who is a slave. They are in bondage and they need freedom. Even though they think they are free. They think they are doing the law. Apostle Paul says no. They are in bondage because they can't do the law. So if you are under the law, you are bound to a marriage. You are in slavery to a marriage that was supposed to give you life. A marriage that was supposed to take you to the mall and take you to Vegas and take you to Hawaii. But instead, what you find out is the man is a deadbeat husband. He is an abusive man. But thank God, through the death of Christ, we too died to that law. We died to that husband. And through his resurrection, we too rose with him and we have been married to a better husband. So the law has no more jurisdiction on those who died in Christ. Those who died in Christ operate in a different realm, a different sphere where the law can't reach them as to condemn them or as to demand anything from you. The law right now as things stand has no legal right as far as the court of God is concerned. The court of man may say you are still under the law, but the court of God says the law has no more jurisdiction to demand performance from you because whatever it required, Jesus did. So Christ fulfilled the law, nailed the law, and its cases that we may serve God anew in the newness of the spirit and not the oldness of the letter. That's what Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, 
For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. That's Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The gospel is the ministry of reconciliation. Is the ministry of life. The ministry that justifies and gives life. It gives a living hope. A confident hope by which we can approach and serve God. We approach God in peace knowing that Christ has paid for all our sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law could not do, the law could not do something for you. Then and now, the law cannot do anything for you. Why? Weak as it was through the flesh, God did. You see, there are two beings doing the law tried to do something for you could not but god did how by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin he condemned sin in the flesh for what reason that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit so the requirement of the law was fulfilled in us by the righteousness of Christ. So we have been freed from the law of sin and death. It's called the law of sin of death and death, not the law of sin and life. It's sin and death. And there's nothing good in that. It's the spirit of life. Okay? See the distinction. The spirit of life in Jesus Christ very clear distinction. So having said that, Apostle Paul would come and say in Galatians 4, 21 to 31, it's going to be glorious. Galatians 4, 21 to 31, it's glorious. Tell me, this is a rebuke. Okay. You who want to be under the law, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? I like the translation. I think it's probably the New King James. Do you not hear? You who want to be under the authority of the law, do you hear what the law is asking you to do? Do you understand that the law does not change what it demands of you? Who has bewitched you? Who has cast an evil spell on you as to persuade you to believe a false gospel? But according to Apostle Paul, to bring the law on those that Christ redeemed is a false gospel. And Apostle Paul is writing to the church. And the church that is writing to then is the same church that is writing to right now. Who has cast a spell, an evil spell, on you as to persuade you to believe a false gospel that mixes works and grace? Don't you hear what the law is saying to you? Don't you hear the thundering, the lightnings, and the trumpets that are being Founded against you. Do you hear? No, they're not hearing. They're not hearing. 
the Judaizers were thinking that they were honoring God. And even the Judaizers of our own day, even though they profess Christ, when they try to bind us to the law, they are not hearing what the law. They will try to play gimmicks and say, oh, we are talking about the ceremonial law. No, there's no problem with the ceremonial law. I can get me some gods and chickens to make an offering. The issue is, I can't bring obedience. We can get cows for offering. The Jews were doing it for more than 1,400 years. They always brought cows and gods and beds and whatever they could offer. But they could never bring obedience. Not one second. And you need obedience. And the law is asking for obedience. And you can't provide it. The law says if you determine to do one part of it, you become liable to do the whole law. And if you miss one point, you are guilty of the whole. There are many, <laughs> there are still many foolish Galatians, even in our own day, foolish Galatians, who have a spell on them and are teaching and believing that we have to add our works to the work of Christ that we may be saved. Apostle Paul says they need a deliverance. They are bewitched. They need to go to the healing school, Agape Healing Ministries. Apostle Paul now goes to illustrate the relationship between the law and the gospel by giving an illustration by way of an allegory from a story in the Old Testament to teach the church that the blessings of God could not be had and cannot be had by one's own obedience to the law, whatever it is. But we're only given by faith and by promise. Now, we're going to go to the Old Testament and read the scriptures that Apostle Paul is using in his argument in Galatians 4. So we just read the scriptures. We begin in Genesis 15. And we're four verses from there. Genesis 15, 1 to 4. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Let's go to Genesis 16, 1 to 6. Genesis 16, 1 to 6. Now Sarai 
Abraham's wife had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I'll obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abraham's wife took Hagar the Egyptian, he made and gave it to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Genesis 21, verses 1 to 12. Genesis 21, verses 1 to 12. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nest children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid, Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. Brilliant. So the apostle Paul goes and reaches for this story and develops some really glorious teaching on the relationship between the law and the gospel, especially the preeminence of Christ the new covenant, the gospel over the law and the discontinuity of the law. We are arguing for discontinuity of the law. So he says, and we are back to Galatians 4, in verse 22, Apostle Paul says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the born woman and one by the free woman. So Abraham had two sons. Obviously, he had more sons. 
after these two guys. But he married some more women. So Abraham had two sons. Ishmael by Hagar, the Egyptian slave maid, the born woman, who was the firstborn. And Isaac, a child of promise by a free woman, Sarah. It's not in my notes, but it just happened to me that the birthright blessing goes to the younger. The older shall serve the younger. Ishmael, who had the birthright, goes where? Ishmael is condemned. And the birthright goes to the younger, Isaac. Let's keep developing it. I shall do a sermon just on that. The firstborn was Ishmael and Isaac was a child of promise by a free woman. Verse 23. But the son by the born woman was born according to the flesh and the son by the free woman through the promise. So the two sons had different kinds of birth. Ishmael, the firstborn, was born according to the flesh. When Abraham went into the tent with Sarah's maid servant, the bond woman, Abraham thought that he could accomplish the promises of God by his own effort. But as we are learning, and as we shall learn, that is not how God works. Fourteen years later, after Ishmael had been born, God came back and blessed Sarah with Isaac according to his promise. Best 24. This is allegorically speaking for these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. The apostle says, the story of these two women and their respective sons is an allegory with respect to what he was teaching. The story is a true story. But the Holy Spirit went to draw this real and literal story and made it symbolical or figurative for the purposes of illustrating the relationship between the law and grace, the old and the new covenants. So in this symbolical representation, the two women represent two covenants. There is Hagar who represents the covenant that was formed between God and Israel on Mount Sinai. The old covenant. The Ten Commandments. I have to repeat this. The old covenant is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the heart of the old covenant. Let's see if that's what the Bible says. Exodus 34. 27 
and 28. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, and he did not eat bread or drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments are the bedrock of the Old Covenant, and that's the law. Now, this woman, Hagar, is pictured as the Old Covenant, and the children that she gives birth to are to be slaves just like their mother. In slave society, one inherited the social status of their parents. So if you were born to free citizens, you were also treated as such. And if you were born to parents who were slaves, you would also be a slave. So Ishmael is one born to a slave woman, so she is not free. Hagar was an Egyptian slave, a Gentile, who was in employment by Sarah for a period. But she was not going to be the permanent wife of Abraham. So those who want to be under the law are the children of Hagar, and they will continue to be slaves without freedom or rights with or towards God. Listen to verse 25. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai. So when you see Mount Sinai, that is saying what? The law. Because the law was given on Mount Sinai. Or Horeb, or Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is the same name for Mount Sinai. The present Jerusalem, at the time that Apostle Paul was writing, the Jews were also in slavery to the law. They were still under the old covenant, but not only that. They were under the Romans. They were under the Romans. They were in slavery to the Romans. So God put them under slavery to the Romans just to preach Christ. That's the God of the Bible. So the apostle says, the law, like Hagar, gives birth by physical means and gives birth to physical children and not to spiritual children. The law by its nature, gives birth to children who are not free. But there's a contrast. There's a contrast. The contrast is there's another Jerusalem that is not this present Jerusalem. Even the current Jerusalem right here in Israel is still under law. It's not free. And because they're not free, guess what? They're always fighting. 
God is still preaching. But there's another Jerusalem that is free and it is not in Arabia. That is the Middle East. But is above that heavenly Jerusalem is what is represented by Sarah, our mother. Sarah and Isaac are coming because of the Abrahamic covenant. And the Abrahamic covenant is what has the promise of the Messiah. It is the covenant that sets the stage for the new covenant of grace through the blood of Christ. And as I said earlier, the Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant. And it has its, for its hallmark the promise of the seed. And the fact that Abraham was accounted as righteous by believing in God. In Genesis 15, 6. And this is the same teaching of the gospel in the New Testament. But the present Jerusalem is also likened to Sodom and Gomorrah in Revelation 11.8. Sodom and Gomorrah became a descriptor of the corruption of men. And Jerusalem was likened to that. But the heavenly city, the heavenly city is a holy city. In Revelation 21.2, this is what John says. He says, and I saw the holy city. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And in Hebrews 12, 22, we had this last week. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. So Apostle Paul is saying, there are two kinds of Jerusalems. A Jerusalem that is below, that is physical children. It bears physical children who are not free. They are in slavery to the law because they can't do the law. But the Jerusalem above is free and, she, and he says, she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice barren woman who does not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. The children of the desolate. Sarah only had one child. And as Apostle Paul pulls this quote, from Isaiah 54 verse 1 and applies this prophecy to his interpretation of the covenants. Sarah was the barren woman who could not bear and a barren woman could not be in labor because they could not get pregnant. However, she still has the promise of many children. God was going to multiply children to barren Sarah through his own miraculous giving of Isaac. But not only that, this was the promise of the new covenant 
that God would eventually multiply seed to Abraham, not by physical birth, but by a new birth, by regeneration of the spirit, by the gospel. And so those who are born again are the children of Sarah. They are the children of Abraham. Who are children of promise and are of the same faith as Abraham. The faith that justifies. The law does not justify. So as Isaac was a child of promise, so was Jesus. And so are all that are born again. To be born again is by promise. It's a birth that only happens by God's promise. You cannot cause yourself to be born again. Your parents cannot cause you to be born again. That's why Jesus came to Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, not so fast. You need to be born again to see the kingdom of God. This was necessary for the teaching that the children that God wants to be heirs with Isaac, to be heirs with Christ, like Jesus, he had to be children of promise. And the children of promise are born not according to the flesh. No one can make their children Christians. God has to do it if and when he is pleased. John 1.13 For those who received him, he gave the right to be called the children of God by their free will. Right? That's what John says. Do you have a vision that says that? No, John says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the covenant of grace bears children not by the works of the flesh, not by taking Hagar into the tent and attempting to bear children to God by our own efforts. The children that God wants, he bears by himself through election, through a new creation, through a new birth. Obedience to Mount Sinai. Obedience to the law, to Moses, to the Ten Commandments, to the Old Covenant, does not bear children to God. The children that God wants have to be free, and these can only be born under the terms of the New Covenant. They have to be chosen by grace, and they have to be saved by grace. The Apostle says, Verses 28 to 31. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. You see, that's the contrast. But you are children of promise. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the born woman and his son. For the son of the born woman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a born woman, 
part of the free woman. So do you see what Apostle Paul has done? In this illustration, he has divided the old covenant, the law, and the new covenant. Law and grace. He says, Hagar, the slave, the bond woman, is the old covenant. Sarah, the free woman, is the new covenant. Ishmael conceived after the flesh the old covenant. Isaac conceived by promise, by a miracle, the new covenant. The earthly Jerusalem that is in bondage, the old covenant. The heavenly Jerusalem that is free, the new covenant. It matters who your mother is. Actually, it does. I was raised by my grandparents in a place called uh, Eastern Zimbabwe, called Weather. And my grandfather, Dominic, had two wives. And I was the grandson from the first wife. And the first wife had all the power and authority as the first wife to dispose of things. And that power and authority naturally transferred to her children and grandsons. So I had the privilege to dispose things because of the position of my grandmother. I'll give you a few examples. We had 50 head of cattle. And if I was yoking oxen to plow, I always had the first preference of using them. And which ones to use? I had to pick. I had to determine the schedule. That today I am the one who's going to use this tool. Or this four. And Saturday, this is what I'm going to do. And the children of the second wife had to take second precedence over me. Listen to this. I was the only one who could milk the cows and not the children of the second wife. They never milked. I am the one who milked the cows. And I had to give them whatever I determined to give them. Listen to this. I also had the naming rights to all the cattle that were bought or born to us. And even the gods, I had to name them. And I named about half of the cattle that we had. I named them. Here are some of the names. And they are not translated. These are the original names that I gave them. I had India. I had a big, very big ox, buffalo. I had very nice. These are just the names of the oxen that I had. I had Bishop. Bishop was the younger brother of very nice. And then the youngest of them was Brain because it was very troublesome. And then I had Norton and some other names. And once I had named them, no one could change their names. Everybody had to call them by the names that I gave them because I was the child from the first woman and not of Hagar, 
who was later added. It matters in this life who your mother is. In the pecking order of things, even in a physical sense. But even more importantly, in salvation. Isaac was the child of promise from the first wife and it was to him that all of God's promises were given. The children of the second wife have no rights. They're in bondage. And this is what Apostle Paul is teaching. But let us work this some more. Let us work this some more. It's going to be glorious. It's going to even be more glorious. Isaac represents the believer. The child of promise. Isaac was born miraculously according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. As in Galatians 4.29. But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now also. So believers are born according to the spirit. And this is what Jesus was teaching. In John 3, 5 to 8, when he said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, you need a different mother. You need a new mother. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Isn't that the same theology? That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Isaac was born through Abraham who believed and had faith in God. And Sarah who received the blessing of God by grace, and we, listen to this, were born, we were saved by grace through faith. Hear this again. Abraham believed faith. Sarah received a blessing by grace. And we were saved by grace through faith. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that not of yourself. It is the gift of God like Isaac. Not as a result of works like Ishmael. So that no one may boast. If Abraham has to give birth to Isaac by his own works. He has something to boast. But it was by grace. It was by promise that it may not be of works. Listen to this. Isaac. Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. We are going there. We're getting ready. We'll be getting done today. It's our anniversary. (laughs) So we have to preach Christ. You, you You got to love to hear about Christ. This is glorious stuff. Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. Listen to this from Genesis 21 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian whom she had born to Abraham, scoffing. So what do we see? 
we see the shadow of the church. We see, we see the shadow of the believer. We see the conflict that the believer experiences depicted in the house of Abraham. Ishmael represents the flesh, caused problems for Isaac, the child of promise. Ishmael represents the old nature, just as our old nature causes us problems when we came to Christ. Ishmael caused no problems in the home until who showed up? Until Isaac showed up. Just as we were comfortable in our old nature, in our sin, until guess what? Until the new nature was created in us by a new birth. We sinned all we like and loved it until Isaac, the new nature, was born in us. So hear this again. When we're talking about Hagar versus Sarah, we are talking about law versus grace. Old versus new. When you talk about the children that they give birth to, we are talking about the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Because Ishmael and Isaac don't begin to have conflict until Isaac shows up. So this is a picture of the kind of life of those who live under the different covenants as represented by the two mothers. And the Jews, the Judaizers did not get it. They were coming and were causing conflict again to the ones who had just come to Christ. They came as Ishmaelites and preaching the same gospel that would bind God's people under the law. The Judaizers loved the law, but they could not do it. They thought the law made one spiritual. No, the law could not and did not make anyone spiritual. The law needed one who was spiritual to honor it the right way. The law only aroused the Ishmael in you, the scoffer in you. That's all the law does. So that you have conflict. Okay. Uh, let's talk to the two covenants, the old and the new the law versus grace as we come to an end. Hagar was Abraham's second wife and so had a temporary and subordinate role. My other grandmother, the younger one, always had a subordinate role. Always had a subordinate role. So much that by the time that I finished Fifth grade, she had moved at least 100 miles away from where we used to live. She and her children. Like God was already preaching Christ to me. She actually did. She actually did. And I never saw her after that. Never saw her after that. And her children. I've never seen any of her children. And that's exactly what is happening here. Hagar 
had a temporary and subordinate role. It's Sarah, the first wife, who held the blessings. So as Hagar was on the scene temporarily and was removed, so the law was on the scene temporarily and was removed. Apostle Paul said in Galatians 3, 24 and 25, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, now that Isaac has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Hagar was a slave, a bondwoman, listen to this, an Egyptian. And her natural position and condition was that of slavery and not freedom. It is Sarah, the free woman, who gave birth to free children. Hagar was still a servant, even though she was still married to Abraham, who held the promises. The law came from God and yet it still was a servant to Christ. Through the law came the knowledge of sin, Romans 3.20. Through the law was the accounting of sin, Romans 5.3. And the law was given to lead sinners to Christ, Galatians 3, as we just read. The law thus was never meant to be the mother of God's promises in Christ. Just as Hagar was never meant to be the one who would bore children or bear children that would have the promises. The law was never meant to be pregnant as to bear children to God. As Hagar was not supposed to bear children but to continue to do what? Dishes and laundry for Sarah. Okay? Hagar was supposed to take laundry to the laundromat and not to bear children. She was going above her boundaries. Hagar was supposed to do only household chores as commanded by Sarah. But it was through the disobedience of Abraham and Sarah that Hagar assumed a role that she was not supposed to play. But it was all by God's will and purpose. Hagar tried to do that which only Sarah could do by promise, but she failed. So if anyone tries to go back to the law, they are going to fail as Hagar failed. The law cannot produce life or righteousness for a sinner. By the works of the law shall no man be justified before God, Colossians 2.16. Okay? God never meant to produce righteousness for you by your own obedience to the law, but by the obedience of Christ. And the Judaizers were trying, and even today are still trying to make us the children of Hagar and to get us to do that which Hagar could not do, that is to bear the children of promise. But listen to this. Hagar gave birth to a child who was a slave. Hagar gave birth to a child who was a slave. A child who was a wild man, according to Genesis 16.12. God says of Ishmael, he shall be a wild man. 
the law brings out the wildness in you. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So the law only arouses more coveting. It awakens the sin in you so that you are always fighting with everything because you can obey. Ishmael is the old nature that is at war with the spirit. Because by nature, the flesh and the spirit are contrary to one another. By nature, the law and the spirit are contrary to one another. As we learn in Romans 7, 22 and 23, which says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inner man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Listen to this. Hagar and his son were cast out by the order of Sarah. The law was cast out by fulfillment and by being nailed on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 4.30 says, Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the born woman and his son, for the son of the born woman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. And this, of course, is coming from Sarah herself. Right? It's Sarah who says that. So Ishmael and her mother have been in Sarah's house for at least 14 years. But both of them had to go. They could not stay permanently. And so they had to go. And we are told in Genesis 21, 12 that this thing displeased Abraham. But God said to him, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bond woman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. All those who belong to Sarah need to listen to what Mother Sarah says. All those who claim grace in salvation need to listen to what Sarah is saying. If any has to be saved, they need to listen to what Sarah is saying about the law. Abraham wanted to keep Hagar and Ishmael. Or at least he wanted God to make some kind of arrangement, some kind of visitation for Ishmael and his mother to come and visit with them once in a while. But God says, whatever Sarah has said, you listen to her voice. And what has Sarah said? Cast out the woman and the son. So to those who want to mix works and grace in salvation, God says, no, I never told you to bring back Hagar and Ishmael. Why do you want to bring back Ishmael and his mother, of whom are both born slaves? And of course, Abraham was heartbroken. Because he loved Ishmael. Also, Abraham was heartbroken to let go of his dear and beloved Hagar and her son. But this was necessary if Isaac 
was to be free. So if you have to be free, it is necessary that you get away from under the law. But we have been set free from the bondage of the law. And unlike the Samaritan woman, who had five husbands, and they live in, and then the seventh perfect husband who showed up, Hagar was not married again. At least we are not told that she ever was married again. And once Jesus came, the law had to go. Once Isaac was born, Hagar and his son had to go. Moses had to go. For many years, Ishmael caused no trouble in the home until Isaac came. And for many years, we were in our sin until we were born again, and we never had any conflict. Abraham wanted to keep Hagar and Ishmael, but Sarah and God said, cast them out. The Judaizers in the Galatian church wanted to bring Hagar and Ishmael back to live with the children of promise, but God and Sarah said, cast them out. And so even now, we cast them out. We want to bring us back under the bondage of the law. The law had its time. It was temporary. But now that Christ has come, we are not under it anymore. And this is what Jesus was saying. Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed in Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe in my words? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and praise you for our mother, Sarah, who bore children not by the works of the flesh, unlike Hagar, but who waited and bore children by promise, by the miraculous working of your power. Children who are given to those who are barren by grace. And we thank you, Lord, that you were so pleased to raise us and to bring us to you, not as Ishmael's, but as Isaac, as children of promise. And with Sarah, we say, cast out the born woman and her son, for they cannot be heirs with the children of promise. So we, because of Christ, have been made heirs with him, and we have been made the children of promise. And we are not under the law, of the old covenant, the law of Moses, but we are under the gospel of grace, the new covenant that is in the blood of Christ. Lord, we thank you for keeping us. Thank you for this wonderful day as we celebrate again your faithfulness towards us in all things. We pray for your people. We pray for all those who are struggling with diff different infirmities. Lord, may you remember them, especially of the household of faith. Be with them, Lord, for the sake of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.